talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We are in a darkened Michigan stadium. Uh, where the hopes of the yeah. Wolverines program have been darkened again by Ryan Day's first win in the rivalry. What was the score? I lost the score. 56 to 27. 29 point win. They actually put up more yards than they did last year with the 62. Doug Lamory, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. Nathan is making a hotel reservation for Indianapolis next weekend because Ohio State is going there to face Wisconsin. And we know you don't care that much about the Michigan game, so we're just going to talk about Wisconsin. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Actually, I already tweeted this out. I said my pregame coverage of Ohio State-Wisconsin is C, previous coverage. I'm going to try. I'm not going to write about it this week. I don't care. The Big Ten has foisted this upon us. We deserve better. Wisconsin is 1-10 against Ohio State in the last 11, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this big win for Michigan. Um, this was my gazillionth Ohio State-Michigan game. We used to do this thing. I don't think we did it this year of, like, what's your big memory from this game? So let's do it on this podcast. Stephen Means. I kind of wrote like a flowery thing about Ryan Day. I get flowery once a year because I try to lean into the rival on game, the rivalry on game day, and say like, you know, the game, and you know, I mean, I think it deserves it. Do you have like a flowery memory that you will take away from this Ohio State win? Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> Justin Fields getting hurt and then coming back in and immediately throwing a touchdown pass. I think that's going to be like when they like if they win a national championship and they're putting together their little highlight video for the championship. I think that has to be like the intro to all of this. It's like him is like whatever Gus Johnson said. Maybe it's him. Like, oh my God, he's running back on the, Justin's back. He's back on the field, and then immediately go into that. Yeah, that's how it has to start off. Especially if like they win a national championship and they have to come back. And they're, like, down by, like, 14 points at halftime. What's your flowery thing, Baird? Well, I actually think it's earlier in the game. It's when um, um, and I'm trying to I'm, – I'm, I'm struggling now to remember the exact details. But um, right before the Chris Olave touchdown, um, the sort of the sequence of events that led to that, I mean, that was when the game was still sort of in doubt. I mean, Ohio State's up 35-16 to 16 when the whole situation plays out with Justin Fields. And I agree, that's going to kind of be the, you know – the lasting image of that game. It's kind of the the narrative, the 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 fun. I already written about it on Cleveland.com. It's like the, that's the sort of the, the 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 defining moment for him from this game. But I almost wonder if the kind of the defining moment of the game was earlier when it was still in the balance there, and Ohio State, you know, struck at just such a crucial moment, um, got the big play, and started to separate at a time when this game was still really tight through you know going into the second quarter. I. Uh... Okay, so that was our flowery stuff. You can go read some flowery stuff at Cleveland.com. That's what happens in the rivalry. What do you guys think of where we stand? I, I, I may, may, may write about this later in the, in the coming days. I'm just thinking about the last four games here. Since Michigan won here in 2011 in that crazy year. 2013 here. Because I think it's like when you do it in their place, it's worse, right? I mean... In a balanced rivalry, everybody should have an edge at home. But this is now four straight here at Michigan Stadium. 2013 is the Tyus Powell interception on the two-point conversion. It's 
two-point conversion. It's as close as it can be, and they barely win. 2015, Ohio State is mad after losing at home to Michigan State, and they come here and flatten these guys, run them over. 2017, it's when JT Barrett gets hurt, whacked by the camera before the game. Dwayne Haskins comes in and relieves. It's sort of like the birth of Dwayne Haskins. When you need a backup quarterback, he's there, he makes a play. And then today was like none of those things. None of those things. It wasn't as interesting as any of that. It was just a better team beating a team that couldn't compete. And I almost feel, it's not that it was mundane, but it's Ryan Day's first game. But like other than like the play on the field, it was, like it was close kind of early. And then the better team pulled away. This, more than any of the other ones, and we're five games into the Harbaugh era, and he's 0-5, just makes me think, like, I don't know what a Michigan win in this series is going to look like now. Before we get to all the texture questions, we have 130 of them, like, what do you come away with today thinking, like, how does Michigan win one of these? Well, today's game, actually, there are ways it was reminiscent of other games we've seen this year where a team is playing tight with Ohio State for, you know, the Michigan State game, the Wisconsin game, those kind of jump out. Obviously, Penn State last week was a, a full game. But those early, those two earlier examples where a team plays with Ohio State for a while, and in those games, there were more defensive struggles. It was more teams really trying to grind something out, and then finally Ohio State was able to put the foot on the gas and pull away. And here, it was more quick strike offenses going against each other for one quarter. It's 14-13 after one quarter, and then Ohio State's defense finally locks in in the second half and really shuts Michigan down. So there are some similarities there where it, where Ohio State making adjustments and just eventually talent and coaching pulling away. I think, but to answer your question, I think that what has to happen for Michigan is they have to figure something out defensively. I mean, this is two years where they've given up 118, what is it now, 118 points in two years. And that's depressing for them. I mean, because they've crap. been good on defense. They were the best defense in the country coming into this game last season. And they were solid team defensively coming into this game. And Ohio State um, just blew that out of the water in, 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 in all facets. I mean, J.K. Dobbins doing what he did on the ground. Justin Fields being able to, to you know, hook up deep balls, um, you know, make, make some other things happen. And, and they sacked him once. You know, they sacked him on, like, very early in the game, on the first drive, they sacked him, I don't know, maybe like the fourth or fifth play of the game, I think. That was the only time they got to him. There were some other times they got some pressure. He had to throw the ball away um, and some things like that. But that was the only time they took him down. And, and you've got it. So I think the first thing Michigan has to do is, is really bring a pass rush. And they've got to put pressure on Ohio State. They've got to, you know, but at some point Ohio State has to be the team offensively that's on its heels. That has not happened either the last two years. I, don't, I just don't, but like, I don't know how that's going to happen. Like, I don't know what's going to change. Michigan has to find a way to recruit better. Well, I mean, if, if when I think Larry Johnson retires and Ohio State doesn't keep getting all the best defensive ends in the country, maybe yeah, but like one. the defensive know, ends but. aren't the reason why they won this game. Like Chase didn't do anything in this game. They had one sack, and it's from a guy who's not going to play the rest. No, no, of the I'm, season. but I'm talking about Michigan being able to go finally get some of those. Oh, guys. that's not just defensive ends though. Like they, 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 if they, they can, get if Michigan can get, can get the next Tyreek Smith or Zach Harrison oh, because and Zach Larry Harrison Johnson's, was practice, yeah. was almost the Wolverine, but he wasn't. And that could be the guy we're talking about for the next two years, extending this winning streak. Uh, I think that I think it's it's, it's got to be more than one position, though. Like, well, yeah, even in twenty twenty, yeah. like Ohio State's got eight guys who are top one hundred guys. Michigan has one, and I'm like he was also on Ohio State's radar, and I think Ohio State got a better guy at that position. So is it over? Like it's over. Like, and someone has made the point. Someone made the point in the press box today. It's not necessarily the expectation that you play Ohio State even. 
But Gus Malzahn beat Nick Saban for the third time today. Yeah. Jim Har- and I don't know how many years it is. Someone can look up how long Gus, Gus Malzahn's been at Auburn. Harbaugh's over. Yeah, over it, five. Now. It's not. It's not just. It's. It's not just that you're not even. It's that you're. You're blanked. And here's. It makes me. I'm going to run down the hall. And, and then next year you've got. Next year you know you have to face Justin Fields again. You know you're going to face still a, a pretty solid defense again. You know there's a good chance most of this offensive line, the interior kind of nucleus of this offensive line is still together next year. You know the receivers are going to be good. I mean, Michigan can't – it's not like they're looking ahead and saying, oh, we can't wait till all this talent drops off. I mean, yeah, Ohio State's going to lose some talented players after this year to the NFL and graduation. But – a really, really strong team is going to be there, and and and, you're, and I don't think Michigan necessarily matches up with them that well next year either. Gus Malzahn has been at Auburn for seven years. He's three and four against Nick Saban, and otherwise Auburn's profile is very similar to Michigan's profile. Here's what I think: Ari is making a point. He's going to write this for tomorrow that Urban Meyer killed the rivalry. I just thought, I just in my head decided. Really, I do think it's Ryan Day that killed the rivalry. Because to me, the thing that makes it feel hopeless is Ohio State's offense can do whatever it wants to do against Michigan's defense. And there was a time with Harbaugh where it was like, well, he's a quarterback guy. He'll get quarterbacks here. They can match up. There were times at the end of Urban Meyer that sometimes you felt like maybe Urban's offense was getting a little stale. If this is the new reality of offense at Ohio State, and it is, you know, maybe if their quarterback's not as good, if they have a miss at quarterback recruiting or something, whatever. If this is Ohio State's new offense, I don't know how Michigan's going to stop that. Because as you said, Stephen, they're good on defense. It's not like, oh, Michigan's notoriously terrible at defense. It's that they're pretty good on defense 11 weeks out of the year, mm-hmm. and then they play Ohio State, and Ohio State scores 60. And, and I, I don't know... They need more speed. They need more elite defensive players, and they need more speed. But otherwise, this is very confusing and very, like, depressing for them. There's no, like, you you wrote about it at the buzzer today, and it's like, it almost sounded like a, it read like a hopeless guy who was like, we did everything right, and yet we still got our butts whipped by 30. And like it's it's like I don't know what more you it's like if Harbaugh had wrote that it been it's him saying I don't know what more you want me to do. And I guess I mean again it all starts with recruiting. You throw Jeff Okuda, Chase Young, and Malik Harrison, and Malik Harrison was a huge recruiter. He's a great player, but you know what I mean. Throw Baron Browning, Chase Chase Young, and Jeff Okuda, three top ten national players from 2017. Put them on Michigan instead of Ohio State, and maybe this is a close game today. So it's like all. <laughs> I, we figured it out. All Michigan has to do is recruit three top ten national defensive players. That and easy. And they're fine. It's that simple, Jim. Let's go to the questions from the 719. Michigan did a great job on Chase Young, and the rest of the defensive line on the secondary looked vulnerable in the first half. Is that now a concern? And what adjustments were made to shut down the passing game in the second half? Again, when we get 130 questions, a lot of them are similar. Lots of, is there concern with the defense going forward? I... We talked about this in the video a little bit. I, I'm hesitant to have too much concern. A, because I think this was the best offense, maybe the most talented offense um, that the Ohio State's faced so far this year. B, they obviously were missing some key guys, and that led to um, not only just some confusion early on, but also even though some of these guys, whether that's um, Seven Banks 
whether that's Amir Reap. Uh, these guys are, are fine to fill in a, in, a, in a pinch, but a team like Michigan's going to expose those guys more over a long period of time, and you had to use them in a longer stretch than you've ever had before. Um, and C, what was Patterson, like 4 of 24 in the second half? I mean, they did figure it out. There was a They did adjust, and they did come at them in a different way, and some of those guys played better. Um, that's the other thing about Ohio State. Like People have, at times, gotten... We, we get these questions a lot because for a quarter, a team will come out and really put it to Ohio State and really challenge them, and they can move the ball. But it's like a quarter out of one game that Ohio State still wins fairly comfortably. Uh, it, it, at the end of the day, yeah, they gave up more yards today than they ever had, but they still win 56-27. to 27. I don't know how overly concerned I would be about that. I will note Ohio State coming into the game was giving up 126 passing yards per game. Shea Patterson threw, threw 127 in the first quarter. And 250 in the first half. But, but then, then four twenty four. I, I think it's an important but. It is, but 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 also, I mean that that's what you're gonna have to do in a championship, a playoff scenario. You're gonna face another really strong team that's probably gonna be able to come out and move the ball against you early on. The same as Ohio State does a lot of times to 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 the opposite team, and that's when your adjustment has to be made. And anytime Ohio State's had to make that adjustment, it's worked. You guys remember in the Wisconsin game when Chase Young like tied a record and looked like he was gonna break that record. Uh, four sacks? Yeah. Yeah. You guys remember what they were doing with Chase Young, like the defense and how they were using him as a linebacker and just like moving him all over and basically letting him be a smart athlete and pick his hole? They haven't done that since that game. Now, obviously, he missed two games, but they didn't do it against Penn State because they didn't need to do it against Penn State in order for him to be dominant. I think that, like, Michigan just showed the blueprint of how, a way you may be able to neutralize Chase Young. If he's going to sit on one side of a defense and just be an edge rusher, I think that they pulled it out against Wisconsin, which was a solid game to do that because they're going to run the ball a lot so he can do that then. And now they see, okay, here's the response. If we just use Chase Young as normal, what a team like Clemson or LSU will be able to do. So I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, obviously they'll, they'll probably do it again against Wisconsin just because that's the type of offense that Wisconsin runs. I won't be surprised that down the line in the college football playoff, they pull that back out. And they don't, like, if a team starts doing what Michigan did to, Clint, did to Chase Young today, that they don't pull that back out and start using him as a linebacker and saying, okay, you're our best athlete and you're actually a pretty smart guy too. We're going to let you play linebacker and roam around and pick your hole. A, a lot of it I thought today, and Ch again, Chase said it, they did chip him more, they did double team yeah. him more. Michigan by far had the best plan of any team this season to deal with Chase Young. Um, they got they got the ball two things they got the ball out of Patterson's hands pretty quick and then Patterson can move a little bit so that's that's a that's a thing um, it is a reminder again it's it's just like it's not that Ohio Ohio State's not getting worse they just played their two toughest opponents the last two weeks so at times last week people were freaking out about some stuff at times this week people are freaking out about some stuff and the main thing is the competition got better now of course Clemson and LSU and and Utah and and Oklahoma or, or whoever they might face in the playoff, that's a, an even bigger jump, and we know that. So it's you can't you can't expect Ohio State to win by twenty four every week, even though they won by twenty nine yeah. this week. <laughs> but I think the main thing I think the the adjustment is the main part. If Shea Patterson had thrown for four hundred and fifty yards, and it looked like they had no answer, then I think we could go down this road. The idea of Michigan has good receivers has a good veteran quarterback, and they had a good plan, and it worked for a while. Like, you have to give Michigan respect for that. I thought Michigan's offensive game plan in the first half was awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah. That was the thing. I mean, I, I, I do think there were some breakdowns. Again, I think there was – you could see it. There was confusion. There was the, the play um, now where um, – was it Banks who was trying to go back? It was dropping back to be the high safety. I think that, game, that was Damon Arnett. Yeah, and it was Arnett, yeah. And Arnett and, and Proctor were Fuller. One, Fuller, one of them was supposed to hang back, and they both went. Yeah. And it, that's what left Banks yes. single covering with no help over the top. And, it, and Michigan gets a big play out of it. I mean, those kinds of things happen because there's only so much you can do during a week. To, to prepare for not having your best guys on the field. And, and they were playing without one, and then later played without Arnett. I mean, it's possible that they could be down two of their starting cornerbacks next week, for all we know. Yeah, I, I mean, it seems like, again, Wade... War- I was texting before the game. Sean Wade warmed up pretty well, looked pretty good, was in uniform, was in a helmet, was standing on the sideline with the defense, and then did play. So that was clearly a guy who was on the edge. It wasn't like, you're definitely out, because they wouldn't have even dressed him. Um, so I think if they w- would have felt like we're going to lose if you don't play, maybe they would have put him in, right? They had That happened with Ohio State uh, several years ago with Eli Apple. He was hurt, didn't start a game, and Michigan State started torching the secondary. And they put Eli Apple back in. It was like, well, we need you. I almost wonder if that's a thing that you do, kind of a gamesmanship thing, to not to, to make Michigan not know until the last possible minute that you won't have your starting slot corner, it, it could future be. NFL draft pick in the game. And, and they're good. They need those guys. We yeah. don't have any reason to believe that it's long-term serious stuff. Again, Wade was warming up. So whatever it was, it looked like something was trying to stretch out a little bit pregame. Whatever yeah, they, it is, I think it would be – I would make the assumption that Sean Wade will be ready by next week. And we don't know about Damon Arnett. They certainly wouldn't put Wade out there in the, in, the, in the scenario I'm talking about. They certainly wouldn't put Wade out there in a situation where he um, – would potentially re-aggravate whatever yeah. is the problem. And to be fair, just by stretching or whatever. To be fair, David Arnett was hopping around after the game, and he looked perfectly fine. Yeah, he, I saw him going out <laughs> to the bus, and he looked okay. Yeah. He wasn't limping or anything. <laughs> no. I, I will say, I thought, and we talked about this early in the year, again, they're mixing some coverages more than in the past. In the past, when they're playing straight man, you might get beat on that, but you don't get confused on that. Right. Again, with some of the new guys and some of the other things they were doing, a lot of that, if a guy goes in motion, the corner on that side where, that the guy's motioning away from will drop back the deep safety, and the safety is supposed to go up and take the guy. There's some of that stuff, which is just normal stuff, but it opens the door on confusion. And so I thought today was maybe the first time, and obviously, again, missing some guys was part of it. I think there was some of the confusion anyway that Michigan, we talked about before the game, they do some motion, they do some stuff that tries to throw you off, they get the secondary moving. I thought a couple of the things was good by Michigan to do that. There was also a time the Jeff Okuda pick, excuse me, near pick, right. was, that was came insane. off a yeah. zone yeah. that that Patterson thought they were in man, and they passed off a guy, and the guy looked open for a second, and it was that Okuda had dropped off the guy he had originally and dropped back into his zone on this second guy. They were passing off coverage, and it almost led to a pick. So sometimes... Most of the time when Ohio State has played those coverages this year, they've confused the opposing quarterback. Every now and then you confuse yourself. It's a worthy trade-off for the way they've played. I wouldn't be worried, but of course you must realize they're not going to shut down Justin Herbert or Trevor Lawrence or Joey Burrow or Jalen Hurts or whoever they're going to play. They're not going to shut them down, but they're still very good. Do were you the one in the Michigan press conference asking Harbaugh what the biggest difference was between them and the Buckeyes? I appreciate the fact <laughs> that when our boss point. wondered yeah. the same thing, he thought that was a Doug Lamery. I think question. you just need to clarify. When, when people hear a jerky question 
at an Ohio State game, people assume it might be me. I appreciate that fact. I wish I would have asked it. And and the, the idea that Jim Harbaugh like sort of snapped, it's like you're 0-5 and it's 8 in a row. It's the same thing with Mike Leach. Like Mike Leach got mad because Washington State's getting its butt kicked in the Apple Cup. It's like, dude, when you lose to your rival, you're going to get questions like this. And the idea of like that you're offended about being asked about a gap between teams when you are 0-5 against them, win. And then you don't have to be offended. Does Day pulling the starters with four minutes left show he doesn't fully get the rivalry yet? Good 63 Lord, or 70 was there for the taking. I do. Yeah, that, first of all, uh, no, <laughs> honestly, I'm not mad at that question. And I definitely thought after their last touchdown, if he really wanted to make his stamp on this rivalry, he was going to go for two. And he didn't do it. Yeah, I mean, do I really need to remind people of the history of this rivalry? Woody Hayes, why'd you go for two? Because I couldn't go for three. Yeah. What happened the next year? Like, you know, go out and kick their butt, but no. do it in a do it with some respect, which I think they did. No. And you, you and plus with it's prudent considering what else Ohio State has to play for this year. You go for two. By the way, you they, don't. That's they kept Justin Fields in the game against Penn State and he sprained his MCL in the last play. Yep. Let's give the people the update that we know. I wasn't in there, you guys were from Justin Fields news conference. If you haven't heard it or if you haven't read Nathan's story yet, just the update you need to know about Fields. Well, he said that on that play, he called it a sprained MCL. I tried to confirm that diagnosis because sometimes athletes will use what is not the most medically correct terminology, and I'm not trying to slight Justin Fields in any way. Just having done this for a while, you try to confirm those kinds of details with someone on the medical staff or someone through sports information if you can. Um, Ohio State declined to be any more specific about the injury than that, which they have done all season. So Fields said it was a sprained MCL, the left knee. When he came in for his um, for the press conference, you could tell he had a big bulge on the left knee under his sweatpants that of an ice pack, a, a pretty considerable one, um, but seemed to be walking okay. Um, and he's a tough kid. I mean, that's that's what he is now. And I I. I don't think, you know, it's a guy who has also shown some resiliency in his playing career. He did have two seasons in high school end early because of injuries, but it was broken fingers to where you couldn't. On um, his throwing hand. On your throwing hand. So you can't you can't be a quarterback anymore at that point. And, um, and also when he was hurt as a senior, you also have more to care about than just the team in front of you you've got a future ahead of you so uh, he's he's been a pretty tough kid throughout his career I think and um and that's I think it's it's resonating right now with this team when they see that again if they don't score a touchdown there if 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 he isn't able to come back two plays earlier and they settle for a field goal there I don't know that it changes the complexion of this game but I think it's one of those things that further instills confidence in the rest of this team in him as if they didn't have enough already I do think the two things about Justin Fields is a um, I'll agree. I think we all agree with when Ryan Day says he's the toughest quarterback he's ever been around. JT Barrett was also very very tough. I mean, like Justin Fields is super tough, but also I just think he has a like a great body for a quarterback. Like he is thick and strong. He's not spindly. I always loved the fact that like JT Barrett had a very powerful lower body. I think Justin Fields has a lot of power in his lower body. I think he like gets good torque when he throws. I think he's very like he's just very together. And then on top of that, I think he has like an incredibly high pain tolerance and like has like no emotions during a game. And so he, I mean, he's not like 
I hate robots, and so like I'm not gonna. But like he is just, he is just so focused on playing football that I think he his body is made for it, but his mind is made for this. Yeah, I think we. I think that to me, if if you said to me twelve games. What's like your number one takeaway about this team? It is the way that like Justin Fields is just like made to play quarterback. He is so calm and poised and he has leadership qualities and he is just like he's in I th- I think I say it all the time. He's just in control. Like in a crazy time it's like I think he just gives a team a sense of belief and calm that like well, we've got Justin. Like, even Chase Young was like, well, I just was, like, worried for my friend. I didn't want my friend to be hurt. But, like, they just think, well, we have Justin. And we're fine. And so, like, on the other side of that, it's like, you're not going to win the national title without him. So, like, we can keep, if people want to ask those questions, I don't know if we have that question. Chugs is a swell fella. You're not winning the national title without Justin Fields. You see how important he is. But last time a quarterback got hurt in the Michigan game, JT Barrett had surgery. Had arthroscopic surgery between the Michigan game and the Big Ten championship game and played. Isn't that like where they just put like they just look around your knee? Oh, I mean, they just like look. It's like they get like a magnifying glass, like Sherlock Holmes, yeah, and just look, look at your around. knee. Well, no, I'm just like like no, they obviously put something in. They look around in it. Though. It's called surgery for a reason. I will say. So when I was just, down in Georgia, but you know, I'm not devaluing. Minor this. surgery <laughs> is surgery that happens to other people. You've heard that, right? Yeah. I mean. Most people don't have arthroscopic surgery and play four days later. That's true. There's a lot of things athletes do that, like, the normal human being just would not do. That is correct. Um, when I was down in Georgia several weeks ago now, um, his high school coach said that when he was in, um, you know, in weightlifting classes and stuff in high school, they finally had to back him off because he could, like, crush so much weight that he was – at some point they were like, you don't need to be – doing that you don't need to be bulking up to that extent to play the the position you're playing so yeah very like this is going back to just his his physique like just very physically built and strong and i think you see a frame there that can add size probably and still be fast and still be agile and still be effective as a quarterback try to run through them a little quick here we're 26 minutes in we answer this in the video we'll answer it here with one week to go which buckeyes are headed to broadway for the heisman ceremony what's your quick answer all of them no, seriously, I think Justin Fields and Chase Young are going. I think Justin Fields is going. I'm. I think it's going to be tougher for Young and Dobbins to go. I think right now the top three Heisman people are Joe Burrow, Chase Young, and Justin Fields. Um, I think we have to see. I don't know what Jalen Hurts is doing this weekend. I don't know what he's going to do next weekend. I think he's in that mix somewhere. I don't know. Trevor Lawrence just feels off the radar to me. So, like, I don't know if he can make up enough ground Nathan, to who's get your, there. Who's your third person? Since, like, it's not Chase. Who's the third person? It would probably be Lawrence. and because, But not because that's my personal preference. I'm, I'm trying to guess who, I don't, the, who the Heisman voting body would I don't pick know that that's where person. they are, though. No. I don't know that that's where the, where the electorate is. It doesn't feel like there's much of a groundswell for Trevor Lawrence. Like, it, it felt like, like, I think part of the problem, when, like, you're the early season favorite in, like, January, and, like, any slow start kind of takes you out the race. Yes. Backlash is real. And I would also say, I, I, this could be an interesting year as far as how many finalists actually make it to New York, because I feel like there's a runaway candidate at number one, Fields is coming in number two, and then you do have just a whole bunch of guys. 
So yeah. whether that's whether that's Young, whether that's um, Lawrence, whether that's Hertz, Hertz, whether that's Chuba. Justin Herbert, whether that's Chuba, yeah, like there's there's a bunch of guys. So could this be a year where they take more than five finalists? I don't they, know. They took six a couple years ago because it was super close for like fourth, fifth, and sixth. Right. They normally do not take more than five, and they decide between three, four, or five guys in New York based on how close, where there's a cutoff in the voting. If there's a clear drop from third to fourth, they'll only take three. If there's a clear drop from fourth to fifth, they'll take four. JT Barrett and Braxton Miller have both fin- both finished fifth in the Heisman voting, and neither of them were invited to New York. So it's sort of like, well, I finished fifth in the Heisman. It's like, well, you didn't get to go to New York. That's kind of the thing. My bet at the moment is that Young and Fields both get to New York, and I think J.K. Dobbins will finish like, Seventh. Yeah. And we'll see. Now, if there are people who are inclined to vote for Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins runs for 200 games in the Big Ten Championship and Jonathan Taylor runs for 40. Again? Well, yeah, I mean, I was just looking today. I mean, they both carried the ball 20 times the first time they played. J.K. Dobbins, who who had to play against a tougher defense. But J.K. Dobbins had 163 yards and Jonathan Taylor had 52. It's not even a comparison head-to-head. J.K. Dobbins is better than Jonathan Taylor. And if they go for a third time, play, and they're in a head-to-head situation, two, two of those times have been in the Big Ten Championship game, and it's the same result where Jonathan Taylor's at 40, 50 yards, and J.K. is north of 150, there is no way that like any Heisman voter is going to be inclined to Jonathan Taylor. Yes, when there is. There, there's no... I, it, no, it, let, let, let this me, is my point. I've been and, making, listen, oh. But hold on a second. We don't, we're going to have to, I swear to God, unless you want two hours of dead air this week, this is all we're going to have to talk about is Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins. So we're going to get yeah. away from this. Okay. I will say, I, I do a thing that I'm not really supposed to talk about, but it's a thing where I hear opinions from lots of national college football writers. People are in on Jonathan Taylor. What? What? Uh, you know, well, because okay. it's a compiler. Yeah. Because it's, well, a, it's a compiler. It's a career achievement thing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Fine. It's why the, it, fine. I don't. Is I, this? No, I, I, you're, you're, you're my, right. my disdain for the Heisman is well yeah, documented. You're right. I just no, I, this is not worth getting into. Is this the greatest Ohio State Ohio State team ever assembled? I don't know. They haven't won no. a national championship yet, so and, let's see. And like, how like, well do we match up with Wisconsin or Minnesota? I mean, again, I, I, well there's they, no. Ma- I mean, there's no matchup. No. We know how well they match. They gotta be though. We know how well, well they match up with Wisconsin. They beat them thirty-eight to seven. I, I'm gonna do a thing. In December, that I re- I've really been thinking about, I've been talking about, I'm going to do it, I'm going to compare this Ohio State team to all the great Ohio State teams that I've covered, and maybe some other ones in the past. I will say the thing that you keep in mind with this group, they are propelled by a recruiting class that was number two in the country, and the best players from that recruiting class, who are the juniors right now, are the, the best recruits are the best players. Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Wyatt Davis, J.K. Dobbins, Josh Myers, all these guys, Baron Browning. Have lived up to the hype. Sean Wade and on and Sean Wade and on top of that, they dropped the transfer quarterback who was the number two recruit in the class of 2018. You took a number two class in 2017. That number two class in 2018, a lot of those 2018 guys actually aren't doing anything right now. But they added Justin Fields to that. If Justin Fields had been in the 2018 class originally, Ohio State would have had the number one class in the country. This is five stars stacked on top of five stars and they've all been developed so when we start talking about that when we start talking about best team ever 
at Ohio State, and if they win the national championship at 15-0, they are going to be in the conversation among the best college football teams ever. And it is because the underlying talent here is just off the charts, and they are also being coached at a really high level right now. So, like, it's not like a crazy question. If they finish it off, it is not a crazy kind of question. Can this game be explained simply as Ryan Day eats spicy chicken sandwiches and Jim Harbaugh doesn't from the three three zero? I don't know what that I means. Have no or, idea what that I know it. No, I know. I know what it means. And yes, would Ryan Day have kicked the field goals that Jim Harbaugh kicked? No, he would have gone for them. And that's what they mean by spicy chicken. And Jim Harbaugh doesn't eat any chicken at all. Yep. And Ryan Day eats spicy chicken. By the way, I wanted to add this. I finally got the Popeye's chick- spicy chicken like two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, me too. Me too. Y'all so late. The spiciness is from the spread? From the sauce? I was, yeah. I was unimpressed. That's you? That's I thought no! it was fine. I thought yeah. it was fine. Chick-fil-A, the spiciness is, is, the chicken. Ba- is baked into yeah. the chicken. And yeah. Wendy's. Wendy's is baked. No. If your spiciness, when they... Because I said, I want the spicy chicken, no sauce. And they were like, well, then it won't be spicy. It won't be spicy. And I almost jumped over the counter and started <laughs> punching people in the face. And I was like, this this national phenomenon is just the sauce? Yeah, yes. that, that is really weak. And butter bread. It's really weak. Wendy's is a better spicy chicken sandwich than Popeye's. That's not true. Uh, Chick-fil-A, I, I'm, I'm giving just like, take. Just like with Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh. True spiciness is baked in. Yes. But. Uh, this is actually. This but which one was the national phenomenon? No, but it's wrong. But it was. Harbaugh is the national Day, phenomenon. But it was. Ryan Day is baked. I'm standing for this. <laughs> Ryan Day is baked in spiciness, and Jim Harbaugh's a regular chicken sandwich, and Josh Gaddis is his spicy <laughs> spread. And it's not as good because it's not, not true. baked in. No, that's that's not true. It's not true at all. Baking your spiciness. Someone asked, I can't Because Ryan Day is benefiting off a lot of the things Urban Meyer put into place. The Popeye's chicken sandwich is benefiting off of the spicy sauce that has been put into place. That doesn't hold up. All right, so we'll have a two-hour. So we're going to talk about Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> spicy chicken. Uh, five minutes on Jonathan Taylor, an hour 55 on spicy chicken. Cool. Someone said, oh, from the 202, how much gloating can we expect for your outrageous prediction coming true? I said J.K. Dobbins would rush for 200 yards, and he did. He also and, said it would be a three-point game. And see, that's yeah. And isn't enough to balance out <laughs> nine and three. So my answer is there's not going to be a lot of gloating because if I do gloat, there's going to be a lot of that. There's going to be a lot of rebuttals. <laughs> I rebut myself. If everybody tries to give me credit for getting something right, I'm like, well, okay. There's a, there's a lot of re- re's to butt out there, so I'm, I'm not. Butts to re. Yeah. The nine and three is. Uh, remember that time, <laughs> the fifteen and zero Ohio State Buckeyes, the greatest team in college football history. Nine and three. That's going to be like in the in the documentary. I think they are nine and three. They have nine good wins and in three like really good wins. Uh-huh. Ah, I know many Michigan fans from the six five zero who are still ride or die with Harbaugh as a coach for life. But I'm not sure the administration feels the same way. Did Harbaugh dial up enough of a game in the first half to keep his job? So I, I mean, this is the thing, like. We have to think like Michigan, and there's we can go four hours on this, but like short answer, watching, it's not, let's let, what did this game tell you about Jim Harbaugh well, and his status at Michigan? Here's, here's my question, and this may go, 
maybe this isn't exactly what you're shooting for, but is there something institutionally that Michigan football is not doing that it should can and should be doing that would allow it to beat Ohio State? Or is Ohio State just performing at such a higher level that Michigan can't catch it right now. I, like it's just you know what I'm you know what I'm trying to say there. Yes. Like they have just reached a different level for this period. Um, there's not a lot that to go back to your point about the the, the, the recruiting classes. I don't know what Jim Harbaugh was supposed to have done from last Saturday to this Saturday to make up for the talent deficiency. Like the talent deficiency is just embedded now. It's much like the spicy chicken sandwich. It is baked into this rivalry right now in a way that just can't be. Um, wiped off like a like a lame Popeye sauce. I think it's a little bit of both. Obviously, there's like a talent disparity that he's not going to be able to fix tomorrow. But Justin Fields said something that was pretty interesting. Justin Fields has been in this rivalry for 11 months, and immediately he goes, "It just means more here." And he said, "I talked to some of those guys over there, and like when I compare the things they do to prepare for this rivalry." Versus the things we do to prepare for this rivalry. We just do so much more. And he says, like Coach Mick said, we're already 364 days. We're start That clock has already restarted and this game just ended. If somebody from Georgia who had no relation to this rivalry whatsoever can be here for 11 months and come to that conclusion that, oh, it just means more over here. And I, he can talk to these other guys at the other school and come to the conclusion that they're just not doing enough from a mindset standpoint to prepare for this thing. There's something there that you can fix starting tomorrow because Ohio State's already going to start fixing theirs for tomorrow for next year tomorrow. I think what happened with Jim Harbaugh, <clears throat> I was going to work this into my Ryan Day column and I didn't. I think it's the difference between burden and responsibility. Jim Harbaugh is so ingrained and is so linked to Michigan football. His father coached here. He played for Bo. I think it has become, the rivalry has become a burden for him. And Ryan Day does not have a direct connection to this rivalry at all. He just got hired here. He got hired into the rivalry. But he feels a great responsibility to keep up Ohio State's status in this rivalry. And I think you, you hear it in the words responsibility is like, I have to do my job. Burden is, oh my God, like I have to do my job. And I think what happened to Jim Harbaugh is he came in into a situation where there was a talent gap. And I think Jim Harbaugh thought to myself, if I make the Ohio State game everything and we lose it, then what? Right. And I think he was afraid to emphasize it because he wasn't sure he could win it. And as a result, he lessened his chances of winning it. I think truly what you need to do when you have lost now five in a row as Harbaugh, eight in a row overall, 15 of 16, whether it's a Harbaugh reset or a new coach, you need to say it is everything. Mm -hmm. And if we lose, the clock starts the moment the game ends and we're dialed up for next year. It is everything. We will hold ourselves to that standard. Win or lose. And eventually we will win. And we will not hang our heads when we lose. We will fight our butts off. We will honor the rivalry. And we will give ourselves the best chance to win by honoring that rivalry. And, and I think they're afraid to. And the result is they, they just even lessen their chances. And so I don't know. I wouldn't get rid of Harbaugh. They're in a tough spot. I mean, Greg Madison and Al Washington wouldn't have left Michigan for Ohio State if Michigan and Ohio State were equal. 
Now they gave Greg Madison a pay raise he probably didn't deserve. But I mean, like, well, they're 12 and 0. What are you going to do? But like, I think, you know what I mean? Like, clearly, Ohio State's better. But the fact that Ohio State's better has made Michigan afraid of the rivalry, which has made Michigan even worse in it than they should be just based off recruiting facilities. That kind of stuff. Like they're they're trapped, man. A part of him needed to come in like Trestle did. Yes, like Trestle, that needed to happen. Trestle succeeds a guy who has gotten his yeah. absolute butt whooped. Two ten and one. All right, but but that's I think that's the important distinction here is that Ohio State was succeeding other than this rivalry before Jim Trestle was hired. Whereas Michigan, Michigan was, had just won a national championship a few years before Trestle got to Ohio State. Well. What does that have to do with it? Well, no, if you're saying Michigan, they're succeeding. I think overall, I mean, Hart, Cooper was good in the late 90s and had tailed off for a year okay. or two. Harbaugh had more of an overall program that, rebuild that, than Trestle did. That's the point I was about to okay. make, was that you know it, Harbaugh had to close a wider gap regardless of, with, with just not, not just with Ohio State, but with kind of the rest of the best of teams in the Big Ten, that... Jim Trestle slash Urban Meyer slash Ryan Day did not have to when okay. they took those jobs. I, I thought you were... I, th- there is a different <coughs> point. Jim Trestle had the luxury of sort of focusing on Michigan because the rest of it wasn't complete ruins. Right. Jim Harbaugh couldn't only focus on Ohio State because the program was in ruins. Rich right. Rodriguez and Brady Hoke killed it. That is a really good point. I don't think people were in... There was a sense of, like, embarrassment for Michigan... Before Harbaugh was hired, from my now I, I was younger and I wasn't obviously paying attention, but I was aware of the Big Ten at large at that point, and I don't remember Ohio State being an embarrassment under Cooper. I just remember there being a sense of they had plateaued, and it was time to find someone else. Well, there was a sense of they had really good talent. They went eleven and one. They couldn't win the big game, and then again the last couple years, but you know ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, they were as good as any team in the country. They just couldn't beat. They couldn't win the games they had to win. So to that, and I guess like we can kind of move on after this. Like you always talk about how Doug, you always talk about how, like it's gonna swing eventually. Eh. Well, I don't know if don't, eventually is any time in the next like ten to fifteen years under some of those premises. I, I don't know that it'll ever swing again to the point that like Michigan dominates Ohio no, State. Just being but equal to get even. To get even. I don't. I I think we're like under some of the points Nathan just made. I think we're a long we're a long ways off from that one because Harbaugh has had to spend a lot of his career a lot of his career here rebuilding from scratch. So, but let me ask you this: so, but now the next coach, the next coach that would follow Harbaugh would not have to do that because Michigan right. is in pretty good shape. The next coach, other than okay. not beating Ohio State, the, the coach who succeeds Harbaugh, like if for whatever reason, if Harbaugh like <clears throat> so Harbaugh's getting fired. If somebody if if an NFL team hires Harbaugh tomorrow or whatever, you know what I mean? Like if Harbaugh leaves. The coach who succeeds him can do what Trestle did. Yes. He can go to the basketball game and say, 300 and whatever many days from now, we're going to make you proud down in Columbus, whatever. I feel like we have really come on upon this. I think we've discovered something here. I feel like we should write this. If Jim Harbaugh loses one more time and Matt Campbell comes in here, and Matt Campbell says, I grew up in Ohio. I know what this rivalry is. You should be embarrassed. We will never be embarrassed in that game. We will never be embarrassed to wear maize and blue. We will be proud of who we are every day of the year, and especially on the last Saturday in November. We will build on the foundation that Jim Harbaugh has left this, and we he so, would be in a very different spot. So yeah. Jim Harbaugh is the guy until it's time to fire him. Well, who knew but Jim Harbaugh's the bridge. It, Jim Harbaugh's not the answer. He's the bridge to the answer. 
Because he could, it, it turns out it was too much. It was too much to rebuild the overall program and beat your rival. So well, you have but, to rebuild the program first. Now they're winning 10 games a year. They were winning three games a year. Right, and that's what I'm saying. But again, I, I don't know how you can say, I, mean, I think the Harbaugh era has been successful. I would use that word to describe the Jim Harbaugh era of Michigan football. But they just haven't been able to beat one of the very, very short list upper echelon teams in the sport. And college football just has those teams from time to time. And Ohio State has has really captured that moment now here for a while. But again, Auburn's 3-4 and four against Alabama in the last seven years. But when Gus Malzahn got there, Gene Chizik had won a national title like two years before. Auburn wasn't in ruins. This is like a series. So basically, how... Michigan can follow the same blue. How Auburn laid down the blueprint for Michigan's success over Ohio State. How Auburn and or how Jim Tressel laid down the blueprint for yeah. Michigan to follow. Okay. Harbaugh is Cooper, who is what's a pen. <laughs> well, Harbaugh is Cooper, who is their Tressel. Harbaugh is Cooper, <laughs> who is the search for Michigan. Harbaugh is Cooper, who the search for Michigan. Harbaugh is Cooper, who is there? I wonder if Harbaugh is a different generation coach from the 727. I think Day connects with his players on a different level than Harbaugh ever will. I think that, and, and I think you would say Urban's an old school coach, right? It's this tough love. It's the. It's not the much of. It's not as much like the aura, or you know, not the. I'm mad at you. It's the more like I love. You know, do you think is that any part of this as we evaluate Jim Harbaugh and then we evaluate Ryan Day? Ryan Day is whatever he is, 12, 15 years younger than Jim Harbaugh. Does that feel like an edge for Ohio State that Ryan Day is more of a modern era coach? Maybe both schematically, but this question is more about emotionally and how he relates to the players. I, I don't know about I, – I think head-to-head right now, Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, the, the biggest differentiator is the massive talent advantage that Ryan Day has. Um, I think in general it is a potential problem for Michigan that – Literally everyone I talk to, and every time I watch a Michigan press conference, I get just the only, the only thing you can get from that is a sense of like overwhelming aloofness, and that this guy is just kind of weird. And I do wonder whether I'm sure there are guys on his team that will run through a brick wall for him, that that love him. I'm not saying that because I'm not inside, but I'm just telling you what the outward appearance is: is that this is a guy that maybe does have trouble relating to the human beings in his charge a little bit, um, or vice versa. And I, I do think that does affect your team chemistry and the way that you perform at the end of the day. I think it's too early to say that Ryan Day's coaching style is the reason why he beat Jim Harbaugh today. Because he's only been doing this for one year. So it's it's like Urban Meyer was more like like Jim Harbaugh was. He was more of yeah. a hardcore guy. So it's like it's just too early to say, oh, is the new school coach better than the hardcore guy? Because Nick Saban's well, a hardcore guy and he's But I, mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's being a hard ass. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean when you watch if you put Jim Harbaugh and well, no, no, Urban no. Meyer on podium side by side like it's the president and the prime minister of England or whatever and just have them do a joint press conference together. One of them's going to look like a genuine human being and one of them's going to look no, like a No, you're right in that, but under their question of a premise is like Ryan Day is the more laid back coach between him and Harbaugh and like I don't just I just don't think that it's too early to make that assumption that, that of that's why Ohio State has success today. Basically, we just think Harbaugh's weird. Yeah. Well, is he, is he, he's he, very I mean, weird. No, no, no. 
He's definitely Listen, weird. Listen, I, I just remember, like, Big Ten media days. We were very excited to see the conversation between Doug and Harbaugh. And, like, because of Harbaugh's weirdness, it just, like, didn't go the way that we all thought it was going to go. From the 614, this is a good question. Did this game more solidify to you that this Ohio State team is good enough to win the national title, or did it leave you with worry about how they would fare in the playoffs? Watching this, is this, yes, they're ready for LSU, Clemson, Oklahoma, Utah, or ooh, I don't know. There there are some things that were exposed. Well, I think they would put up 56 points against LSU, Oklahoma, or Utah without a whole lot of trouble, probably. Now, I think Clemson is still the tougher matchup, and that's the one where I think if you – because they can they can hang with them on both sides of the ball, I think. And if, if, uh, if Clemson comes out and puts some points on the board, I think that's the team where Ohio State may not be able to just always be able to come back with a quick answer, big plays, touchdowns. One you said Clemson? Another. Yes. Someone's just asking about this from the 727. They're worried about going up against Brent Venables, that yeah. defensive coordinator, yes. how good he is, the talent they have. I yes. think it's a yes, they're ready for like every team but Clemson because like Michigan showed them everything that like they might see against another team just at a more, you know, a higher level just because they're more talented. I think Clemson is like equal or better. And and everything on the scale, like okay, Ohio State has Justin Field. Okay, we we have a Trevor Lawrence. Ohio State has a Chase Young. Okay, well Clemson's got a great defensive line too. Ohio State's got great cornerbacks. Okay, well Clemson has great wide receivers. So like it's 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 good that that's the one game where it's like J.K. Dobbins fumbling today probably doesn't turn into a thirty-four yard run and then two hundred eleven yards for the rest of the day. I will say. Um... I found the Ohio State passing game today very interesting. Steven, you and I were sort of talking during the game. Shea Patterson was ripping some intermediate throws that we have not seen Justin Fields even attempt Mm -hmm. that often. Justin Fields was a little bit off kilter, missed some throws early, a couple out routes, just missed by a foot. I thought the fact that in a world where he was a little bit off, that he started dropping deep balls on the hands of guys... Big plays to Garrett Wilson. Big plays to Chris Olave. One that hit Chris Olave in the face. I've said all year, we've talked about, I don't think Ohio State's receivers are great. I think they're good, but mm-hmm. I don't think they're, they're not as good as Alabama's. They're not as good as LSU's. I thought today it showed, well, okay, they are, this offensive line again played really well. Fields is such a threat in the run game. Dobbins is going to be able to run against anybody. And now it just, I, I thought Garrett Wilson only had three catches. That was the most flash we've seen from Garrett Wilson. We've seen a play here, a play there. He made three big plays in this game. He was really excited. He dropped the punt. Not great. I jinxed him with my punt story. Olave is really there as a guy who can get open. I think they can beat teams deep, and Fields can put the ball there. I don't know that they have to throw bing, bang, boom consistently to beat to win a playoff game, I think pound, 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 pound deep might do it. It's almost like the Cardale-Zeke offense. This looked like the Cardale-Zeke offense a little bit today. Run people over and then throw over the top. That has worked before at an elite level. So I would come out of this maybe more convinced that I think they can win it because I think this can work at an elite level, and their defense is still good. My only argument against that, I agree with that 100%, but the, I think the one argument against that is 
Jeff Halfley has come in here, and his like main thing is don't give up big plays. Like make teams drive, make them seven, eight plays, and if they can do that, kudos to you. But I guarantee you, they're not going to be able to do that all game. Michigan's a prime example of that. They did it in the first quarter, but as the game went on, they just weren't able to do it as much because they start turning the ball over and other things started happening. I don't know if a team has forced Ohio State to like do that exact same thing and just drive. It's been a lot of big play opportunity. It's been exactly what you talk about. JK, 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 big play. JK, 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 big play. Clemson is talented enough to apply that same method that Ohio State has used on other teams against them. And let's see what happens. If, if that's the case and it happens, well, then all of a sudden the fact that Justin Fields isn't as solid at throwing those intermediate routes anymore becomes a problem. I thought today was a very playoff kind of game in a lot of ways. I mean, it's a uh, it, it's an inhospitable um, environment, not weather-wise, but just like you're not getting to play in the comfort of home, which every tough game Ohio State had played before today was in their home stadium. Um, you're playing against an offense that can put up big plays against you in a way most of their opponents just were incapable of doing that. I think they needed to see this level of talent. I think they needed whatever scare they got, whatever push they got early on. Because as much as, I mean, we talk to these guys every week, and, and their defensive players are coming in and saying, hey, you guys maybe don't see it, but we see it. Like, there's problems here. There's not, like, critical problems, but, like, we're missing some things. There's some gaps. There's some places where we're vulnerable. I think Michigan was the kind of team that could expose those a little bit. And I think any team that, if you win in that situation, I think you benefit from that. Kurt... From the two one five in Philly, by the way, what you were talking about, Stephen, why didn't they just let Chase Young roam free from a stand up position just to give Michigan a different look? I do think just I think part of it is maybe they thought Michigan's still gonna get the ball away mm. too quickly for him to make an impact, and then like you're out of position and they might pop you on a run and that kind of thing. The thing about Chase standing up against Wisconsin is they aren't afraid of Wisconsin's pass game. So they're not they're not they're just trying to get pressure on it. There's no fear of it. And they feel like, well, we know how to stop Jonathan Taylor. I think there was a little more. Not, I don't think fear is the right word, but I think they respected the Michigan offense a little bit more to not try something like that. But again, the point of like, well, sometimes you can't be scared of something. They may have to do that against Clemson or LSU with somebody else to make a couple plays. A couple more questions. Uh, let's see. You know what? A lot of these are kind of same. We might be done. Um, what, make a bold prediction. All right, we'll finish with this, 614. By the way, okay, so people wanted to know. People, I wrote about the risk-reward of, of Garrett Wilson in the punt game. Some people are asking about it. Question from 614, why risk that punt return? What would you do? Would you keep putting Garrett Wilson out there? Or did for him to drop one against Rutgers and drop one again today, and I watched the replay on the Rutgers one, by the way, as I was writing the story, he just he didn't even look at the ball. Right, he was he gone. He, he, it's a, it's that's a what very, he does. It's the first time you do it. It's a freshman moment. The first time you do it, it is you just took off before you had the ball secured, um, and it's just one of those tail as old as time things. You've seen players do it in football all the time, and usually it's receivers. They're going out for a pass. They it comes to them, and they start to turn up field before they have it secured, and they drop the ball. It's an incompletion, whatever. The first time you do it, it's a freshman mistake. The second time in three weeks, you're a sloppy player, and I can't trust you on the field. It's not. No, 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 no. I think. Yeah, I don't think it's sloppy. That's what. If you, I watch, trust him as a receiver, by the way. No, but I, in this punt return situation, if you watch he's sloppy. Every single punt return he's had. He catches it as like he's on the run as a receiver because he's already like he's already eyeing a hole because he's great at making plays as a punt returner. So what's going to happen is every so often he gets too far ahead of himself and it looks like it's sloppy. It is sloppy. It, it, it is dangerous, but it, when it works, it works. The problem is you're not scoring punt return touchdowns 
often enough to put him out there in a college football game. Just take the possession at that point. When you who, who when it works, you, it works maybe, but it hasn't worked to the extent of a touchdown yet. No, and it's a, cost them. And that's my point. Like you don't score like t- teams don't score enough on punt returns for that to be like in a playoff game. Oh yeah, we really want you doing that. It's okay in week one and two. It's not okay in a playoff game. Who would you put out to return the first punt of the playoff semifinal? KJ Hill or Demario McCall? Yeah. I just like just get the ball and let's get our offense out there and get and then okay fine if you get momentum and things start to work out okay fine it's, it's no different from like trying to get an onside kick when you're up fourteen to nothing that's a momentum situation where you're trying to be aggressive but let's like build that up first you, that shouldn't be your first look is like hmm, let's try to get a punt return and touchdown I think especially if if in that first game of the playoff you're going against an off a defense that you think is vulnerable you you're probably not that worried that your yeah. offense could be able to move the ball. So why give them potentially an extra point? Give or extra points. Give them the ball in their half of the field with another sloppy mistake. I would I would make him earn back the right. And I'm not saying he doesn't in practice. I mean they may they may start this over each but week and make him earn the spot. Yeah. It's twice in three weeks. Yeah, but not even a earn. But just like he's That's a, cal- a trend. Make it a calculated risk. Where it's like a high risk, a low risk, high reward situation. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, okay, tie game, um, or you're behind, you're down yeah. in the fourth quarter. You need to break one. He's my guy. But when, if I'm protecting the lead, I don't want Garrett Wilson yeah. in there right now. And I, I think he's going to be a fantastic player for as long as he's at Ohio State. He has incredible talents. But right now, it's it's trending towards what your identity is, and it needs to go get corrected before that happens. And, and, I, and again, in the story, if you guys didn't read it, I posted it Saturday morning. They made the decision at halftime against Wisconsin. Demario Call McCall returned the punch in the first half. For whatever reason, the second half, they went to Wilson, and his second return in the second half, he returned it like 30 yards and helped set up a touchdown. And they were kind of all in on, on him after that. It And they really do have a decision to make. We'll finish with this. This is a positive Garrett Wilson moment. From the 4-1-2. Was the touchdown pass to Garrett Wilson Justin Fields' best play of the season? He scrambled to his left, hits Wilson in the back of the end zone. Crazy five-star play not many people can make. Also a shout-out to Chugs for keeping the drive alive to allow that play to be positive. I think yes, because like even without the background, that's a heck of a play to make for any quarterback. And then to, throw, to, to do all that and then throw a perfect ball to an over receiver in the back of the end zone, that's what makes it impressive. Like, the other, other stuff makes it a moment. But, like, it's already an impressive play for a quarterback to be able to do all that. And I thought a little bit as he started to roll to his left to escape the pocket, I thought he looked like a little gimpy. Yeah. <laughs> but he had everything he needed. Yep. Ryan Day was amazed by it. Well, I think I think Ryan Day was most amazed because he used to was be was a quarterback, and he knows that there was some freelancing going on there. That wasn't, he like, that. what they designed for that yeah. play to be. And by the way, and we'll bring it all back around with this, it is a discussion that we have had for 12 games. The throw it away Justin Fields yes, versus the maybe risk a bad sack to make a play Justin Fields. And we have always said yes. Sometimes. It's, it's similar with the risk-reward with Wilson. Yeah. At the moment, there probably seems with Wilson in the return game, too much risk, not enough reward. I think every risk that Justin Fields has taken this year, taking a sack, risking taking a sack, whatever negative plays, those negative plays made that positive play possible. And I think that risk-reward balance 
is absolutely in favor of Ohio State. Which is crazy because that's probably the one time of all the times, given what had happened, you probably would have just been okay with him throwing the ball away. And he did the, yeah, just because of everything else. You were in the medical tent 40 seconds ago. Literally, literally. And so, like, that's like the perfect scenario of, like, a high-risk, high-reward situation with Justin Fields. Make sure you catch our midweek podcast. Ohio State will be playing Wisconsin at 8 o'clock on Saturday night in Indianapolis in the Big Ten Championship game. We'll have some coverage coming up. Normally, we don't talk to people until Tuesday, but this week there is a to- coaches teleconference Sunday, a players teleconference Monday. So look for stories about the Big Ten Championship. We'll have more stories about Ohio State, Michigan on Sunday morning. We appreciate you guys being along for this ride so far. Oh, this was a general thing that was out there. I do want to cover this just in case people are worried about it before we get till Wednesday. Can Ohio State lose the Big Ten Championship and still make the playoff? Yes, they'll be the four seed. Yes, probably. As long as it isn't like some disaster. I think they'll probably still be the one, although LSU is kicking the crap out of Texas A&M right now. I think if they lose, and it's like I a mean, situation... I mean, they'll still be the one going into Tuesday. Oh, yeah. I think if they lose by like 10 or less points, they're the four seed. So the worst case scenario for Ohio State is they lose and LSU loses. Then they're probably... So then Georgia is in as the SEC champ and Clemson is in. Right. And there's two spots left. And it's, it is potentially the two spots would be down to one loss Oklahoma as a Big 12 champ, one loss Utah as a Pac-12 champ, and LSU and Ohio State as one loss teams who are non-champs. That is what you would be looking at. Which two of those four teams get in? Oklahoma, Utah, Ohio State, LSU. I don't think there's a definitive answer. I think it's like, well, who won by how much? How good did everybody look? I think, I think, I think LSU it, is in, like, regardless. I think LSU and Ohio State get in in that case, and I think people are going to be annoyed by it. But which two teams are do, has the committee, at, to this point, said are clearly better than those other schools? It's Ohio State and LSU. I think that's probably right. Yeah. That, again, the, the building up equity all year, you build up this equity to give yourself a little wiggle room at the end. I think that's the uh, – as long as LSU doesn't lose, because if LSU wins – now there's Georgia's not in, you know, that then I think Ohio State could get in with a loss. I think the only way where they're at all at risk for not making it is LSU both and Ohio State both lose and like Oklahoma all of a sudden looks like the best team in the country against <coughs> Baylor in the Big Ten twelfth title game. Or something. But, I still think it would be Ohio State, but I would say going into that Big Ten championship, I would say it is less than a hundred percent of like in the playoff no matter what. It might be ninety Eight point three, but I think it's a little less than a hundred. Well, you got you also, the other thing you have to remember here is that it's going to be on a neutral field. And Wisconsin, what were they in the CFP rankings this past week? I mean, they were a top fifteen team. They they might be a top ten or close to it team in the in the CFP rankings after beating Minnesota on the road, which was another team that was even higher ranked in the CFP rankings last week. So that's going to be considered. If it's a competitive win and you lose on a neutral field against a team that good, I don't think the committee's going to hold that against them that much. And I think in that scenario, they could even still be ahead of LSU if I, LSU loses also. I think Ohio State's going to be a number one seed because like, this is all great, but Ohio State's not losing to Wisconsin. And, and the other week. thing you have to keep in mind is that Wisconsin is mediocre and does yeah. nothing that can beat Ohio State. So like, this is great conversation, but no. You know what? We're taking the week off. We'll see you guys Saturday in Indianapolis for Ohio State's 40-point win. For Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug Maurice. That's it from Michigan Stadium. Eight in a row for the Buckeyes. And that was Buckeye Talk.